We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast, and I am Mean Lean from ArsenalVision.co.uk. Another victory, this time against Everton at the Emirates. Always going to be a difficult game after a um, very tiring and draining game in midweek against Bayern Munich, a game in which we won 2-0, in case she wasn't quite aware of that. Um, Everton had a full week's rest, and um, it was quite clear last 20 minutes or so we tied, so that's quite evident, but we dug in, thanks to... Great save by Peter Cech, some great defending by Gabriel. And um, yeah, we held on. Some, some great performances from Meza Urzo, I thought was magnificent again. Um, and Oliver came back into the team after scoring many goals off the bench, continuing to score goals. So very good all round. In today's show, unfortunately, James cannot be with us as he's ill, but we've got um, Tim Stillman coming in, aka Stilberto. He'll be talking to Elliot Yankigana and Paul Posner in my pants. Um, not my pants, about the victory at the Emirates. So, without further ado, I'm Handrover. Enjoy the podcast and back again after the Sheffield Wednesday game. Make sure you tune in then and goodbye. French heads get everything rolling, and this time I'm not talking about the reign of terror. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast, and my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. We're coming to you a day after Arsenal 2, Everton 1. Uh, a very solid result and performance, especially considering uh, the exertions in midweek. And we will be speaking with Paul, as always, this time. But in an effort to gain listenership, we've cut James. No, I'm kidding. That's not what we've done. James is unwell. Uh, I hope it's from drinking. I assume it's from drinking. What we've actually done is added Tim Stillman. You know him as Stilberto on Twitter or the guy who writes that awesome column on Ars Blog or the guy who writes that awesome column for everybody else and just generally appears on podcasts and has wonderful insights about the Arsenal. 
uh, sees the Arsenal home and away, and we are delighted to have him on the pod, so I will introduce him first. Tim, hello. Hello there. So happy you're here. I'm happy to be here. It's it's a long season. You need to rotate the squad. Yeah, I I um I can't tell you how how exciting this is going to be for our listeners not to be served up the usual crap that this podcast is all about. Oy. Um, but serving up the usual crap <laughs> is Paul. Paul can be found at Pausing in My Pants on Twitter. Paul, um, we're really excited to hear uh, the usual crap. Woo! There it is. That's how it starts. Um, all right, let's kick it off with um a quick mention of. Just the lineup, and I'll start with you, Paul, just briefly. Any surprise that I think we knew Ox might come in for Ramsey, but Giroud came in for Walcott. Do you think the two are linked, and were you surprised to see that happen? Um, well, so that was certainly the talking point in terms of lineup, and certainly the surprise if there was one. We knew Ox was coming. Um, Tim Tim called it pretty good beforehand, and I think he has some good reasons uh, why Giroud? I think. Uh, uh, so Look, once... he's already on the pod. You don't have to butter him <laughs> up. All right, he's here now. He doesn't have a choice. Yeah, so I won't spoil his thunder too much. But I, I certainly think the interplay between Ox and Giroud would have stiffened the manager's spine on this one. Uh, I guess the other point is he talks strongly about uh, Alexis being knackered and jaded and stuff like that. But Alexis still started and looked pretty good. Um, outside of that, I'm not sure there's there's too much. Th- th- there was no real point in rotating before our mid game, uh, our midweek Sheffield uh, game. So uh, made a lot of sense. I'll, I'll leave it to Tim to talk about the Giroud option, as he called that one pretty good. Yeah. Okay. So Tim, I mean, obviously that was I think the more surprising of the two inclusions. Um, Sacker was out with illness, so Gabriel's a natural swap. Although that really could just mean he was absolutely exhausted from midweek. Um, what did you notice about how we played that was different, both with Ramsey and Walcott out of the lineup? Um, well, um, it, it kind of has to be different anyway um, when you take two such different players out like uh, Walcott and Ramsey and put in Giroud and Chamberlain. And obviously what you're injecting is you're probably injecting a slightly more physical presence um, there. I think, you know, as I said before the game, Chamberlain and Giroud have a very good relationship. Um, and I think we saw exactly what Giroud brings. And, and actually, um, I, I thought he performed really, really well. I thought he was one of our best players on the day. Um, and it was actually quite nice because sometimes when a player's out of the team, and particularly when he's out of form, um, like Giroud kind of has been, although he's been scoring quite nicely, um, you tend to forget sometimes the attributes that a player really brings you and the ones Giroud brings you because we're just so used to them and we're so used to seeing them. Um, it's not so much that we've missed them, but I think straight away it was obvious yesterday that every time the ball was in the air, and, you know, Everton play... John Stones and Phil Jagielka at the back, who are both very, very physical and posing, good in the air. You know, they're both very good centre-halves. Um, but I, I think Giroud just had the beating of them every single time in the air, and not just by winning headers, but in bringing the ball down. And basically, we saw a more confident Olivier Giroud, and we saw everything that he was about and everything we'd probably kind of forgotten that he brings to the team. Um, and what was interesting about his goal as well was that, I mean, it was, I wouldn't even call it a cross from Ozil because he really, really picked him out as a perfect ball. It was an invitation. It, as it was, it was. <laughs> and uh, actually, I listened to um, 
a rival podcast, shall we say, the Arsenal America podcast this week. <laughs> now nah, we we all love that podcast. It's an example of professionalism that we would we would hope to achieve someday. That's and fine. appear on it every time we're asked. Yeah, and sometimes when we're not. But um, Julian, um, aka Ginger's Blimpar, he he made this really interesting point talking about Urzel, and he said that Urzel's crossing is delightful because he's the only player he's ever seen who actually. You know, he doesn't just whip it into the mixer kind of thing. He actually picks... It's a pass. Yeah, exactly. It's just a pass from a wide position. That's exactly what it was. But actually, we've had a couple of good-headed chances with, with Theo up front. We have one almost identical against Watford um, a week ago where across... I, I forget who put it in. It might have been Ramsey. Put in a lovely ball and Walcott, you know, he just couldn't quite get the connection with it. Because he's a couple of inches shorter than Giroud, and it was an almost identical situation, but Walcott just couldn't quite get enough purchase. Um, and also, Walcott had that you know that header against Bayern, which which was ended up being a terrific save. So the fact that Giroud put his header away, um, you know, just just gave you a really nice example of kind of, and it's a nice reminder for him of what he brings, and actually that it's it's still very useful to us. Um, yeah, albeit. Tim Howard is not um, Manuel Neuer, um, to say the least. Um, but yeah, I, and and I mean, from Giroud, we got an illustration of everything that's that's really good about him. From Chamberlain, we probably got an illustration of some of the things that are, that are still a little bit frustrating about him. Um, but yeah, I, playing those two, it just gave us a slightly better physical kind of emphasis, which against the team with you know, a very physically imposing defence like Everton's was, was probably exactly what we needed. Yeah, I have to say, I mean, Giroud's best moment arguably might have even been something he, he didn't get credit for because it was chalked off as a foul. But he ran between the two defenders and did a sort of back flick yeah. header that was a perfect layoff to Ozil running in behind who then didn't score, but it was ruled out for, for a foul that I don't think was a foul. And that, that was no. brilliant. Um, I, th- I think I think even if you're capable of fouling two players at the same time with the ball in the air, that the rest should just let it go and say fair enough. To be honest, yeah, I think at that point, if you win the ball, it's yeah. you know, credit to you. And and it is it is brilliant to see. You know, the the one thing I have to admit is after Zagreb, I saw a player who was really at at the ebb of confidence and and happiness with the game, and I thought maybe his Arsenal career was drifting away from him. He hadn't scored in ages. He was missing sitters. He had taken a stupid red card that cost us our opening Champions League group match, and he lost his starting role. And I didn't see a way back for him. And instead, you know, he he kept his head up. He really rose to the challenge of the substitute role that was handed to him. Um, He took advantage of that to score important goals and, and obviously score what was the winner against Bayern. And Scoring a winner against Bayern will do a lot to get you right back in the manager's plans. And it really is a testament to his mental strength, you know, hashtag mental strength, um, to see how he's responded to what I think was really the nadir of his Arsenal career uh, in Zagreb. Absolutely. Paul, I, I know you're a huge Theo Walcott fan, and obviously you would prefer Theo to start every game that he could. In terms of what Giroud gave us in solidity and, and strength and physicality, do you think we, we compromised a little bit in terms of uh, danger and just uh, actual goal-scoring chances? Because once again, I felt like at least for the first half, we had good control and, and a good stable feeling about 
the setup, but I don't know that it looked like the goals were coming. Do, do you think that's really what we lose is that with Theo, there's just that little element of danger, especially uh, for Alexis, who seems to thrive more on Theo's running? You know, um, I think that generally, and I thought it for the game yesterday, the first time through, but I had a second look at it. And I'll stop the, you for a second, Tim. This is a feature of the show. Is that is it? Paul pretends he's watched the match twice, <laughs> I, I, I know, and then I and know. that gives his insights a greater a greater force because it he's does. on a second view. It also course. gives me two opinions I can fall back on: the popular one, fair, or you know. So that's pretty fair. good. But the second time I watched it through, I could relax a little bit. I knew we were going to win. Um, actually, I thought you're, you're trying that, to say that Arsenal couldn't lose a match they won the first time on second yeah. viewing. Yeah, pretty much. I wouldn't much. put it past us. Yeah, no, I was very confident the second time. But uh, once I chilled out and watched it, um, it actually worked really well on the – you know, all the things you'd like to think happened with Giroud, the knockdowns, the other players running down, uh, running on, uh, Ozo running through, Ox running through, Alexis uh, was a lot freer – in the kind of Theo sense, you know, you had that run where Alexis ran diagonally across the box. Now, I would have said that was the Theo effect, only it was Giroud on the pitch. Um, I think overall, yesterday, I can't use that against Oli. I mean, I love, don't get me wrong, I love Oli, but I'm always looking for the case for Theo. I think yesterday, this was not only good Oli, this was really, really good Oli. And all the things we love about his game actually kind of came through more than I th- thought they had. Um, you know, our first, to me, our first 60 or 70 minutes watching it, uh, we really, uh, although there was a lot of tiredness out there and it took us a little while to get going, really we were, we were pretty much in command of this and going for a third goal. Now, they had one or two moments, but we had more than one or two moments. Um, it was kind of from then on it got a little dicey and, you know, we we left it out there to be taken to some degree. Um, so I think the Giroud thing, you know, I really don't have any case to come back at Giroud yesterday in terms of Theo. I thought he did really well and it worked generally for the team. There was lots of threat, lots of really good moments. Um, I think it worked. Yeah, I was surprised that Theo didn't get on. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I would have just assumed that, especially late, as presumably Everton would have been tiring from chasing the game, he would have gotten on, but he didn't. Um, Tim, if Giroud really grabbed this opportunity by the horns and, and made a case for himself as being an option to be the regular starting center forward, I think it's fair to say that Oxley chamberlain maybe didn't do the same in his first match replacing the stricken Aaron Ramsey. And I know you're a big fan of Oxlade-Chamberlain. He's kind of becoming a polarizing figure. We like to have those at the club. And yesterday he came in for a lot of criticism. What did you make of his performance? And how do you feel about him being the go-to option to replace Ramsey for the foreseeable, you know, six-week, eight-week, 48-week future of injury that Ramsey will be out? Um, I mean, I'd like to preface this by saying I want to be a bit careful about it becoming a kind of feeding frenzy because we're all like it. We we all need and want somebody, um, even when the team's playing well, like Arsenal are at the moment. And it kind of feels you, you like... can just direct that comment at <laughs> me. You don't have to veil it in generalities. <laughs> Chamberlain and um, but I mean, yesterday I I, wa- I was quite disappointed in him. Um, I've tried to uh, kind of think back a bit more soberly, uh, shall we say, because at, at the game I was actually 
getting really quite agitated with him. Um, but you know what it's like when you're a bit emotional uh, and you're hanging on to a one-goal lead and someone's already done one thing to piss you off, as Chamberlain, I think, did in, in Everton's goal. And sometimes it's it's easy to take it out on someone. And, I, you know, I had a little look at his, his stats from the game and they weren't too bad. He had kind of four take-ons, um, didn't make any big mistakes there. But I think at the moment it just looks like he's trying to do a bit too much to impress and that actually he just needs to relax a bit. Um, he's basically, there, there's nobody else to play on the right. I think if Danny Welbeck were fit, I think Danny Welbeck would be playing there, to be honest with you, ahead of Chamberlain with the kind of form he's in at the moment, which is quite patchy. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, I just... He looks like he's just trying to force it a bit too much, and he he hasn't quite plugged into the, the the whole team dynamic, and that's not necessarily his fault because he's in and out of the side. Um, Let me ask you this: is is his all right? So he does to me for a player at this level play with his head down a little yeah. bit more than you'd like to see. Um, he's great at taking on players, but he's not really seeing the pitch around him, which is yeah. sort of anathema to the whole Arsenal style. But do you think his style and his approach? to wanting to take players on and do a lot with the ball at his feet is more of a problem for us with Alexis on the other side, who's very similar and that in, in the front three, you can really only accommodate one player who yeah. wants to beat three guys before he makes the play. And the other guys have to be more attuned to the, to the quick passing game. Otherwise a lot of moves are going to break down. Absolutely. And because no one's taking that crown from Alexis. So really to, to, um, kind of imprint himself on this on this team. You know, Chamberlain's going to have to be more of a, shall we say, a team player. I mean, all, all of those qualities he has are an anathema to the Arsenal style. And actually, that's what's made him such a, a popular and attractive option because he does something a bit different, a bit like Thomas Rosicki. Um, and he gives the team great variety. But yes, it is a problem for him with Alexis there. Um, I, th I think he can get there. I really do because I think he's intelligent enough. I think he's hardworking enough. The the kind of um, the example that came to my mind actually uh, yesterday when he, he ignored Hector Bellerin on the uh, on the over right before their goal. Yeah, yeah exactly. And uh, I know Paul's made this point a few times on this pod that actually pretty much every mistake he makes at the moment is really like he's being punished for everything. And then you look at Alexis, who gave the ball away twice horribly against Bayern and wasn't punished. And Chamberlain must have been looking at that. And in the back of his mind, he must have been thinking, if that was me, that would have gone in the top corner. Um, hey, hey, Tim, Tim, can I add quickly? Uh, I think I saw Alexis had nine take-ons yesterday and only one successful. In other yeah. words, you know, yeah. he's, uh, uh, to your point, incredibly, Ox is incredibly unlucky. Yeah. I think it's also fair to say, look, that a lot of the things that are criticized about Oxlade Chamberlain's game are in Alexis's game. The problem yeah. is Oxlade Chamberlain is does not have the luxury of having done the things on yeah. the on the positive side of the ledger that Alexis has, which buys you a lot of forgiveness. Exactly, exactly. And and where I think Chamberlain needs to relax a bit. The the, the um example that came to my mind was um when England were playing whoever they were playing at Wembley a few weeks ago and uh, Jamie Vardy came on. And Jamie Vardy made this, you know, this run into the channel like he usually does. And he's kind of at an angle where he can have a shot. And usually in that situation, when you've got a player trying to establish themselves in an international side who's come up from nowhere like Vardy has, who's pushing for a place. 
in the Euros, often at international level, you'll see someone take the shot on because they want the goal. And actually what Vardy did, despite being in that situation, was he picked out Sterling on the back post. And I looked at that and Sterling scored. And I looked at that and thought, that's, you know, that's a relaxed player. That's a really confident player at the top of his form, making good decisions. And, and Chamberlain's just not making good decisions at the moment because he's too... You know, he's he's trying to force it a bit too much. And in, in terms of Everton's goal, that's exactly what happened. He kind of ignored Bellerin on the overlap, dribbled into trouble. And then after that, you know, he, he realises that. He realises his mistake. He comes back. He forces Barkley onto his left foot, which is probably what you'd want him to do. And then the shot takes a horrible deflection and goes in. So in some respects, it was unfortunate. But he's, and, and you know, he's being punished for every mistake. But it's because he's making them um, in the first place that he's getting punished. That, I yeah. mean, that said, he's got another kind of four or five weeks in the team where we don't really have a lot of other choices. I think he's going to play on Tuesday as well against Sheffield Wednesday. Um, I think he might play in the midfield three on Tuesday night, which I think might do him some good. Um, so he's, he's got time to get there, but no, it, it wasn't that impressive um, from the Ox yesterday. And I think if... If Danny Welbeck's fit, then I think that Chamberlain would probably be going back on the bench. But what he's got in his favour is that, that there's nobody to bench him for at the moment. So he's got plenty of opportunity. Yeah, I think there's a chance that Campbell will get the start. Um, but but I, I think it would be beneficial to give Ox a game where he'd have a I chance to boost his confidence. I think um, I think Chamberlain might play the number 10 role, the Ozil role. Interesting. Um, by the way, if my intro to the midweek pod doesn't include something about Tuesday and Wednesday or Wednesday on a Tuesday, then somebody shoot me because that's too obvious. Um, it, you know, I think the interesting thing with Oxley chamberlain is technically speaking, there's nothing he can't do. He can take on any shot. He can hit volleys as sweetly as anyone I've ever seen. He, he's got the strength to ride challenges. He can dribble past anyone. He can make the passes. Um, interestingly, it's, it seems to be his awareness in his <laughs> hashtag football brain that is letting him down right now, which is ironic because when you hear him speak and you, you see him interviewed, he's such clearly such a bright and engaging person. Um, and I think that, you know, the, the mistake, so to speak, that led to their goal yesterday was really a breakdown of awareness because once Bellerin is making that overlap, the space on the right flank behind you is totally exposed. Mm. So losing the ball in that situation is always going to put you in a challenging spot. And I agree he was a little unlucky. It led to a goal. But that's a space where you can't drift inside and lose the ball centrally because there's nothing on the right flank protecting you. Um, but again, technically speaking, I think he has it all. So it really could be a case of maybe this Ramsey injury is the best thing in the world because if Oxlade Chamberlain does put it all together, he's one of those players who can who has the technical skill to take a major leap forward and, and be a big contributor to us. Um, let's move on to a couple other incidents in the match and. You know, I, I just want to touch on the goals quickly, Paul. I, I don't think, you know, they were the product of brilliant play, but they were both brilliant balls. Um, the the Ozil pass we talked about a little bit, uh, how fantastic was that dead dead ball delivery from Cazorla and how nice was it to see us take advantage of set pieces to to really be the difference in this game? Yeah, I mean, early in the season, uh, I was very much uh, conscious and concerned about us and set pieces in general. It seemed we'd struggled last year on a lot a lot of set pieces and a lot of crosses from wide. And it seemed like our year was, th this season was starting off uh, in similar vein. 
Uh, I think the numbers showed it. Um, but now it seems like we're turning all that to our our benefit. Uh, I tell you what, I did really like on the two uh, set uh, uh, on a number of the set pieces, including the one we scored. Uh, Gabrielle and uh, Olivier really seem to have worked out some kind of thing where uh, they kind of use Gabrielle as the aggressive shitster in there, pushing people around. Um, and it seemed to create space for them. I mean, the two of them, it wasn't just the, the goal. Uh, Ollie had a chance before that where it went past near post and with a little bit more direction, um, you know, it, it just looked like a shot that would and and would, would could and should have gone in a, a header. Uh, Gabriel had a couple where he didn't quite get it on target. He didn't quite get it down. But um, I thought that was quite promising uh, as, as a combo attacking set pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, both both balls. The other thing I've noticed this year a couple of times is, what, especially early on when we conceded a couple of headers and crosses, I had to kind of say, that was a really fucking good cross. You know, for for right. all our criticism of our defending this, that, and the other, if you give the guy the time or off a set piece, they put it right where you just don't want it. Holy fuck, it's so hard to stop just the right ball into just the right place. And we had two of those. Uh, Howard should have done more as the keeper. But beyond that... Yeah, uh, I don't know what he would do with the first one, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I, I really don't. And they, somehow that was one of those where you say, well, well, what can they do? Apart from closing down Ozil quicker, they were fucked from the moment Ozil looked up and put that ball in. Um, they were dead meat. And um, so, but overall, I th- I think, uh, I, I thought it was interesting Arson said it. He said something to the effect of, didn't quite say this, but if you're going to win the Premier League, um you know that starts to show up when you start winning s- goals from set pieces, etc. And I'd yeah. say conversely, mm-hmm. stop conceding from them. Um, and you know, Bayern and all that. So, set pieces are beginning to turn our way. Well, let's talk about the defensive side of things a little bit, and I'll stay with you for a second, Paul. I, I mean, uh, Gabriel came in for Murtasacker, and while I still prefer Murtasacker's very cerebral, tactical um, approach to defending, Gabriel's physical, uh, hard-charging, energetic approach is certainly one that, that can be equally enjoyable to watch. What did you make of the performance Gabrielle put in today and of the defending in general? I mean, we were under the cosh at times, especially in the second half. How do you think the back four performed? Back, uh, back five. Let's say back five because check was a big part yeah. of the win as well. Yeah, uh, I thought it was good. I think there were moments of tiredness across the back, not including Gabrielle. Uh, you know, each one of them had a moment where they did something where you said, well, they didn't do that against Bayern. Um, giveaways, a little bit of sloppiness. Uh, I think you could say that across the, the the team. There were moments where they just gave away that extra ball or two under less pressure where they were so tight against Bayern. Uh, but beyond that, I thought it was really good. I, I, I did think as well maybe a little bit of a mental lapse uh, the fullbacks, on a couple of occasions, maybe got themselves a little forward unnecessarily, especially when we were ahead. So it was more those those kind of little moments. I mean, if you think of how exposed we were on the Oxlade-Chamberlain goal, I mean, it was basically 
we had a couple of defenders back and we had Coquelin uh, running uh, to cover his left and then trying to scamper back to cover his right because there was basically a fucking vacuum between uh, our our centre-backs and the attack. And, uh, you know, even Bellerin was scampering, was still only jogging back um, as uh, Barkley took his shots. It was basically down to uh, Gabriel and Ox, who had taken the shot to cover this guy. That's that's the vacuum you had in the midfield. So uh, I thought that was a little bit old Arsenal for me. It seemed like we'd got our shit together on that, and this was kind of... One or more, maybe we're a little too confident. We were knocking it around really well at that point. Um, so I think there was a little bit of a mental lapse just generally in mm-hmm. that game management area and a couple of sloppy little passes from time to time. Overall, I think we did really well. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the thing that I thought was so ex- exciting about this game is it was clear that, to me, I think the manager had, had expected and the players knew that the last 30 minutes was going to be really tough after what we'd been through midweek. I mean, that's a lot of chasing when the team has 70, 73% of the ball or whatever they had, 71% of the ball um, uh, on Tuesday. And so we came out really energetically. I thought the first 20 minutes or so of the game, we were so impressive and we really pushed Everton back and it looked like they were hanging on. We got the lead and statistically now, I don't have the statistic in front of me. I, I forgot to look for it because I'm a true professional. But it's been, I want to say like seven or eight years. It's not, but it's, it feels like that. Since we lost a game where we took the lead. And that's become such an important part of our play. And we really do defend well with the lead. But this was a little different. And Tim, I, I want to get your thoughts on this in terms of, obviously I want to get your thoughts here on the podcast. That was stupid. Um, the The way we played the last 30 minutes of the game, it seemed like, we were in two minds about the best way to win this was to either get a third goal or sit and keep them out. And as a result, the game was very, very open. How much of that do you think was down to um, fatigue, both mentally and physically from midweek? And how much of it was just really not wanting to sit back and and soak up pressure and and trying to get that third goal to win it? I think um, it would have been definitely about fatigue. And I think... um... Not just, I, I think you're exactly right. I think the team and the manager knew the importance of leading the game with 20 minutes to go because I think they definitely expected, um, you know, to find that last 20 minutes quite tough. Um, and, and in effect, it can be a bit psychosomatic as well because I'm sure they discussed it. Um, and when you look at it, I think Everton would have discussed it as well. Um, I, my, my friend who I was sitting with at the game, a, probably about 10 minutes into the second half, he said to me, Everton haven't really gone for this yet, have they? And I said, I think they're waiting us out. I think they'll leave it till about 70, 75 minutes. They'll concentrate on not conceding again, and then they'll try and hit us. So I think it was in, in, but it would have been talked about by both teams before the game. So I I think it was almost certainly entirely fatigue-based in terms of how we dropped back. And what was really interesting, you know, we, kind of said at the beginning of the podcast that Walcott didn't get on at all and um, I, I found that a, a really kind of interesting decision actually because on, on the face of it Walcott is a fantastic attacking weapon for precisely that scenario however it's difficult because you know because Giroud gives you a good defensive option not just you know literally in terms of defending set pieces and the rest of it but actually he gives you a breather um, because 
you know, because he's able to take the ball down and relieve pressure. And that's a really, really difficult call to make, whether to bring him on for Giroud and kind of, you know, do you go for the third goal or not? And actually it looked like something the team were kind of struggling with um, a little bit, whether to stick or twist. And then, um, you know, it was really interesting the kind of positions Matthew Flamini was taking up when he came on because he comes on and you think, well, he's just going to sit in. Um, oh, hell no. He, he wanted yeah, his goal. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he had exactly. the best chance of the game. <laughs> he, he got in really good goal-scoring positions, and, and that has to be um, under a little bit of instruction, I think. He, he pushed on quite uh, quite high up. So, that, I mean, that was quite interesting. So I, I don't think the team or the manager knew really how to approach it. Um, and, you know, Ever, Everton did have some chances, and, and I think um, I expected Gabriel to play anyway. Um, even if Mertesacker hadn't been ill, um, just because I think he's equipped to handle Lukaku. Um, and I think we, we managed him quite well, albeit Lukaku was more up against Koscielny. Um, but, that you know, that, that tackle that Gabriel makes in the last minute, brilliant, brilliant tackle. And actually, that's probably a symptom of the fact that he's slightly fresher, um, having not played on Tuesday. Um so it was it, uh, it was absolutely fascinating that last 20 minutes. I'm not sure Arsenal quite knew what to do with it. Um, and in the end, it's kind of natural. You're going to end up hanging on a little bit. Um, they put a lot in on Tuesday night, and I think they kind of expected that. Uh, and I think that's why they, they really tried to, to kind of build up a lead. Um, so I, I think it was mainly fatigue-based, but a little bit, deliberate as well just because i'm i'm convinced it would have been discussed before the game yeah yeah paul your thoughts yeah um so matthew family definitely gets my vote for favorite substitution of the evening when we get to that point in the pod but uh, <laughs> as as tim said um you know that that advanced position he took on did seem to be deliberately planned you there was a a moment just before flamini comes on where uh Wenger is giving him instructions and you can see it's instructions Flamini's not expecting to hear. He's like sketching with his finger and Flamini is looking back and forward at him kind of checking it, do, is he really telling me what I think he's telling me? And if you if you look at the first two or three positions, you know, he immediately runs up to that advanced right position basically to fill in for Ox. And like fortunately we have the ball at that point, so there's like two or three moments where he's right in the box. He's our most advanced player. But then uh when they get into possession, he zooms back and becomes the most defensive player. I think he might have forgotten the instructions of that player that of the uh manager at that point. So he's kinda all over the place. I'm still not quite sure exactly what his role was, but uh why bring on Theo for a threat in behind when you have Matthew Flamini? And wouldn't it have been yeah. just the most wonderful thing if he'd got that goal to add to his uh, his Spurs collection? And it was, it was I, I guess. Yeah. Well, it might have <laughs> I mean, destroyed I don't know him. That, I don't know that I want anything happening that encourages a the manager to use Matthew Flamini more and b him to use him as an attacking weapon. So maybe it's all for the best. Um, hey, you know we we. There are two players that I think we need to single out and discuss before before we're done with this game, and and one of them is is Francis Coughlin, and you know I thought interestingly against Everton I look at it and I say a couple of years ago this is a team that would have been 
capable of bullying us with the power and dribbling of Barkley, with the strength of Lukaku, who, ha- who has given us trouble in the past. And this this time, when they did cause us trouble, it was with a little pace um, in the wide positions, understandably, because we probably had two completely exhausted fullbacks. Um, but they didn't really bully us, and one of the big reasons that they didn't bully us a lot in midfield was Coughlin. But, Tim, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, on how he's really growing. I feel like every time I watch him now, his game is rounding out more. The confidence that this really is his position has has allowed him to do more than just that sort of crab walk that he does through the middle of the pitch, you know, making sure to cut out passing lanes. How impressed were you with him yesterday? And how how much development have you seen in his game over the course of this season? Absolutely huge development. Um, he's, you know, I, I think you alluded to it there. He's becoming a leader. You know, he's... he's Barking, I, I mean, he's obviously naturally, he's he's a player that plays on the front foot. That's his job. But, you know, the way he's kind of bossing people around, you know, on, on Tuesday night against Bayern, it was it was wonderful to watch. He was absolutely screaming at Alexis at one point. And, uh, and you know, that's, that's when you know a guy feels at home in a team when he's, you know, calling out the star player in front of everybody. And um, Well, the, the good news is he can scream at him in French and Alexis have absolutely no idea what he's saying. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, I, I wasn't happy with that was was the general gist but, <laughs> but, but it was contextual yeah yeah but it, it's it he, he really has rounded out his game and and actually um it's kind of weird it's almost like discussing a different player because the Coquelin we saw a couple of years ago when he was just a squad player was actually technically very very good um and you know and, and the manager alluded to the fact that actually he kind of prioritized that side of his game too much but he always had very, very tidy feet, been able to get out of situations very quickly, um, you know, and, and he thought he was a more creative midfielder than he actually is. So actually, it's a bit weird that um, his technique has been discussed so much um, as perhaps being, you know, not a, a weak scratch. link. Yeah, Because the, the player we saw a couple of years ago was, te- if anything, was technically very good, but he didn't do enough of the kind of dirty work. Um, and and you know we we've we've spoken about it um, before really that he's you know he's not a bystander in the build-up play anymore. The other the other the other players really trust him, um, and that really really comes across when you watch a player in a team. Um, you know, do they in that split second they have to make a decision? Do they give the ball to the guy? I've just watched you know the Manchester derby, which was an appalling game. Um, watch Wilfred Bonny up front, and nobody's passing the ball to him. Um, and there's a reason for that, and that that's very telling. When players have to make that snap decision, they tell you a lot. Um, and that's not happening with Coquelin. They're perfectly happy for him to have the ball. Um, but that's a change. That, that that, you know, change. It's, I wanted to bring this up to you, Tim, and, and I'll interrupt for a second because it's kind of uh, my style, and then I'll, I'll, I'll leave it with you again. But um, in the beginning of the season, towards the end of last season, where I think we struggled is when Cazorla got pressed or Ramsey got pressed or Ozil did – they they didn't have the option of giving it to Coughlin. They were looking for any alternative but to give it to Coughlin. Coughlin wasn't making himself available in good positions to, to receive the ball in midfield where he wouldn't be under pressure. He was kind of marking himself out of the game by standing too close to opposition players or they didn't have the confidence to give it to him. And the biggest change I saw yesterday and, and recently is he's finding those open spaces in midfield yeah. to make himself available. And now his teammates are trusting that in tight spaces they can give the ball to him. Absolutely, and uh, you know his. Sorry for describing it like this, but his his kind of lateral movement 
Um, where I sit at Arsenal, I'm in the front row of the upper tier, pretty much on the halfway line. So um, the cameras are on the other side, but basically if the camera was on my side, it'd be pretty much in my seat. So I have like a, a good kind of panorama of this kind of thing. And um, and you see it a lot, actually, um, him just looking over his shoulder when, you know, he doesn't have the ball, nobody else has the ball, you know, in in kind of situation where he's not involved in play. He's looking around to see where Kazola is a lot more and moving into space. Um, so he, he's definitely picked up on that. He's definitely ironed that out. A, a, another quite simple thing he ironed out quite early on as well. He excited us when he came into the team because of this kind of bite um, and physicality he gave us. And actually, I think at first I was a bit worried that he was a walking red card. Um, and, and actually, he's, he's really, really moderated um, that side of his game. He's not just leaping into tackles willy-nilly anymore. Um, he looks like a much more confident kind of player. He's just found his rhythm, feels perfectly at home in the team. Um, and it, it's it's been inspiring to watch. And it makes you wonder, actually, what um, other kind of fairly average-looking squad players, what, I mean, what would they do? with a, What would someone like Joel Campbell look like if he got 20 games together in the team? I'm not suggesting we give them to him, but... You know, say we had a massive injury crisis and Joel Campbell plays 20 games. You know, maybe he grows into this type of player. Um, you, you never know. It, it makes you question your judgment of, of other footballers. Um, but it, it's been it's been an absolute pleasure to watch. And, you know, Coughlin and Kozola, we saw Wenger kind of fiddle with that a little bit earlier in the season because he obviously wants Ramsey in there. Um, but... He's not doing that anymore um, because that those two at the base that I mean that's it that's their absolutely bona fide first choice now and um, and you know Coughlin's a, a massive massive part of it. Yeah, I I, I want to give you a chance to to add to that, Paul. If there is anything you feel you need to add, but really quickly, you know what I will say is kind of ironic is when when Ramsey was going through a dip in form. People were saying he needed to get back to doing the basics, that, that he was trying to do too much. And with Oxley chamberlain I think you could argue, he needs to stop trying to take everybody on and all the really challenging technical stuff and, and really get back to basics a little bit. And that's what Coughlin did to get his spot in the squad. He came in and he said, I'll concentrate on defending and destroying counterattacks and opposition attacks, and that's all I'm going to do for the first few months. And he did it. And he became a crucial part of the squad, and he earned his starting place, and he started to feel more confident in the starting place. And now he's layering back in the more technical or offensive sides of his game, not offensive as in they offend us, offensive as in helping our attack. And that that really is wonderful to see. He, he's This is built on a platform of doing the basic things right, and that's where he earned his place. And now he's layering back those more technical elements to his game. Paul, uh, a last word on Cockle, and then we'll we'll quickly get to Petr Cech because I think he, he deserves a mention as well. Yeah, a couple of things that come to mind on Cochrane. I mean, what I re- I'm really enjoying about watching him now is his comfort in the position. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of... Uh, I used to find there was a lot of criticism of his passing short and long. When you looked at it, his passing was actually pretty successful and, and you'd almost say effective. But he was always... You know, he'd put in fizzers or he'd, he'd hit a short ball really hard or, you know, everything... Every second ball had way too much mustard on it. It'd be like a pile driver that nearly takes somebody's head off. Um, so it was this kind of weird thing where it was successful and effective, but making us all nervous and probably making all the players on the pitch 
really nervous. And what I've really enjoyed over the last few games is he's got the pacing. He's comfortable. The the pace on the ball, he can hit it soft. He can hit it harder. Um, So he's really just kind of slotted into that position and, and again, feels like he owns it. I like the fact that him and Santi use each other to get out of trouble now. And I think before, part of the issue with his positioning was um, it was probably officially and unofficially the policy to work their way around him when they had the ball, when they were playing the ball forward, you know, kind of work it. There were, you know, Ozo would drop back or Ramsey would drop back and probably quite officially the plan was not to play it through Coquelin. I think that didn't help his positioning any where we'd say, oh, he's not very good out of possession because he looked like a player who was just trying to stay out of everybody's way um, while we had the ball. And now it's kind of a virtuous circle. Now that he's they're more confident in him, he now doesn't have to be not only out of position, he's now finding the position, feeling more fluid and and more involved, and now he's just kind yeah. of absorbed the position. So I, I think we were a little unfair of him when in the early days. It was almost part of the plan he stay out of the way, and I don't think that helped him uh, on the pitch look natural, feel natural, and be part of the play. Yeah. Still effective, well, though. Look, this is also where the manager gets his credit, right? I mean, as as supporters, I think it's fair for us to look at a guy who was clinging to his Arsenal career by his fingernails, was being loaned out down the leagues and probably about to be sold. As as a supporter, it's fair to say that's not the guy who's going to rescue our season, rescue our squad. The, the manager has to know the player better and know if he has that capability within him. And he took a big risk on that. Um, I, I think he managed Coquelin brilliantly. And in a completely different way, he's managed Giroud brilliantly. And you would yeah. say Theo as well. I mean, he, he's found a way over time to integrate and make a success of that player. I mean, it's something uh, Wenger does really, really well. It's interesting, too. You know, there was a game, and Tim, you might remember it. Paul, you might as well. I can't remember specifically which, it won, which one it was, but there was a game this season where Coughlin picked up an early yellow and probably should have gotten a second yellow or at least Palace. the opposite. Was it Swansea? Palace. Palace. Okay, yeah. And and all game I was thinking, you got to get him off. He's going to get a second yellow. I never had that feeling yesterday. He I, think he, with such... I think he got the Go yellow card around 24 minutes or so, something really close to that. So he played, what's that, uh, 65 minutes or so, maybe a little longer. It's appalling math, but I get your point. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I agree. All right. Well, Tim, real quick, uh, what do you make of check? And I mean, wh- one of the big talking points, you know, in the summer was, you know, we're going to uh, we're going to pick up what, 12 or 14 points or something like that um, by having Petr check. And I think, you know, the numbers were always a little bit ridiculous. Right. I mean, a keeper is not going to just get you 12 points. And a lot of people had a laugh because the way he started the season with you know, obviously a couple of high-profile errors and, and costing us the points against West Ham or arguably contributing and costing us the points against West Ham. It's understandable that people were going were gonna to have a laugh. But obviously, he's become arguably our player of the season. I mean, he is right there. If you were picking players of our season right now, Czech would certainly be up there. Um, so I think, I think it, it deserves a, a mention again, even though it's, it's almost become expected that he would play well. But... Well, why don't we start with you, Paul? I mean, your thoughts on on Czech's performance yesterday and generally now 
how crucial he is to this run we're having? Well, I certainly like the idea of the uh, announcing the player of the year right now because I, I think Flamini has a really good shot at it, So, um, and he won't do <laughs> if the season goes much longer. But I do think, I mean, Czech, I think what's so impressive about the Czechs of this world is defensively we've been very good. Um, and so he's only had to make in most games, that one or two crucial saves. And he's always there. He's always on it. Um, And so the most impressive thing about somebody like Czech is he's always got... He's always got himself right. He's always got his positioning right. He's always got his focus right. Right. Um, And for me, that's the most impressive thing about Czech. He's not going to be as athletic as a a 21-year-old or a 25-year-old keeper. But 90-something percent of what a keeper has to do is about uh, being in the right place, having the right body body position, right body shape, communication, organization, um, the sense of calm he brings. We, we talked a little bit about Coquelin being on the other end of the spectrum of that and moving towards the center. I mean, Czech just makes us feel controlled at the back. Uh, probably because we are in control. Yeah. Um, real quick, your thoughts on on check, Tim. J- not just in terms of yesterday, but in terms of now as we see what it's like to have a keeper of this quality, what it means to the way we can the way we can play in a game and the confidence we can have, especially like yesterday when the other team is getting on top of the game, how it fuels our, our performance in the last twenty or thirty minutes. Absolutely, and you know he's making crucial saves at crucial times, and um, you know that that obviously that has a kind of um, economies of scale effect because then everybody becomes a bit more confident in him, and everybody's a bit more relaxed. Um, it's it's been a huge addition to the team. I, th- I think the other time I was I was on this podcast was after the Crystal Palace game after he played twice, and and actually he hadn't impressed at the beginning at all. And actually, I was probably a little bit harsh on him from memory because for me, a goalkeeper is part of the defence, basically. Um, I would never refer to a back four, always a back five. I think a goalkeeper is very, very much part of that unit. And as such, I think people underestimate how much you know a goalkeeper has to fit into a team and get used to a team um, in just the same way that an outfield player does, especially nowadays where actually goalkeepers you know, play certainly in the big teams, almost like an 11th outfield player with their distribution and things like that, that the back pass laws brought in. So, you know, he really had to kind of connect with this team. And and I think you can tell that it took him a few games. I think you can tell it's happened now. Um, and it's, it's a very virtuous circle because they're confident in him. He seems to get them and be confident in them, no matter what the kind of centre-back partnership is as well. They all, they all seem to, you know, respect him and look up to him. You, you know, you see at the final whistle, um, he seems very kind of involved, um, shall we say. There's always, someone always runs to him, you know, for, for a high five and a hug and the rest of it. And again, it, it seems little, but players in those moments, they tell you a lot. And, you know, Gabriel and Mertesacker and Koscielny, they all go, they all kind of go straight to one another when the final whistle goes and that that speaks of a good off-pitch relationship that speaks of a good on-pitch relationship and and basically he's bringing everything we hoped and suspected that he would bring and something that Arsenal really need and have been missing for 
years and years. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's always in the right place. He gets his defenders in the right place. Um, he doesn't. I, I think. I think he probably explains why the tide is turning on our set pieces. I mean, it, yeah. it's kind of obvious. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's wrap it up. Just one thing, you know, for me, I, I'm surprised. I saw some. I wouldn't say a lot, but certainly on social media, you're always going to find some. But some critical. Uh, res- well, yeah, critical responses of our performance uh, yesterday in a particular second half performance, and I just think that's. Really unfair, considering what we went through to have to, you know, chase for ninety minutes against Bayern Munich, winning at home against Bayern Munich, and then coming up against a team that I don't think is by any means a bad side. I know they they played very badly against United in their previous game, but I think Everton are certainly capable and uh, particularly capable of attacking and and hurting you in in your defensive half. And you look at the other teams that played Champions League in midweek, and Chelsea lost hilariously, um, and City and United played just a dire, terrible, scoreless derby. Didn't even look like a derby. So, you know, I, I think we deserve a lot of credit for getting the result because the results you get after your Champions League games are really important results if you want to compete in the league. Um, let's just finish with this, I'll, and I'll start with you, Paul, and just really quickly, um, how worried are you right now about how thin we are? And I'm going to list four players that I think we have absolutely no answer for an injury right now. And that would be uh, Cazorla, Coughlin, Ozil, Alexis. We really do have a chance to win the league. Do you feel that our ability to continue to press our our position at the top of the table is dependent on those four players staying fit? Uh, <laughs> probably a couple more. Uh, you picked four good ones, though. Well, I, I mean, mean we, we have alternatives in some positions, but I feel like those yeah. four players, especially with Wilshire, Ramsey, Welbeck, and um, Arteta unavailable right now, there really is no viable cover for those four in particular. Um, the only thing that makes me feel a little better is they're generally, we're talking about generally robust players. Um. But, I mean, yeah, it's basically, uh, I think the the Premier League comes down to a competition for fitness and health for us. If we stay fit and healthy, uh, it doesn't guarantee we'll win it, but it I think it guarantees it'll come down to potentially the last game of the season. I think we're going to be that close as long as we stay fit. Um, I don't know, in a way, I'm, uh, it's like, what else can you do or say at this point? Um, we're not going to have a, the problem with only having this, this 11 plus a few is it doesn't leave a lot of options for rotation, but I guess we're not a very rotating team anyway. When we've got our 11, that's pretty much it. Uh, with, with one or two kind of alternates like, you know, Theo and Giroud. I always thought once, uh, Ali got back to uh, full, full confidence, full strength, they would start sharing the role. So, but outside of that, I mean, uh, we just, you know, as well, coming into the Christmas period here uh, in a month, as this month progresses, and then you got, what, six games in December. I mean, yowzer. And that's before the, the cavalry shows up to uh, to save the, the fort. So uh, it's going to be a long couple of months here till we start getting some additional players back. I mean, I don't know if, if it seems fanciful that Ramsey would be back in three or four weeks. That feels like a six-weeker. Yeah. Um, so so it's going to be very interesting. 
Yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, uh, Tim, so just your thoughts. I mean, if I look at it, if Coughlin goes out right now with no Arteta, it's Flamini. If Alexis goes out right now, I mean, we're probably using Theo and Ox and Giroud or having to draft in Campbell. Um, you know, if Cazorla goes out, I I genuinely don't know who we would use there. I mean, Oxlade-Chamberlain maybe. I, I, I legitimately have no idea. I mean, maybe you go Flamini and Coughlin. And if Ozil were to go out, I, I guess – you run into the same scenario. So are those the four players that if we're going to continue to push on in the league, we have to keep fit at least while their obvious replacements, you know, Arteta, Wilshire, Welbeck, and Ramsey are out. Are those the four players whose fitness is really going to determine whether we can continue to press at the top of the league? Uh, yeah, absolutely. But um, what, what I would say is that it's never been any different. It was never any different for... Arsenal, you know, 10, 15 years ago, keep Omri, Perez, Vieira fit, um, which we largely managed to do. And in the seasons we managed to do it, uh, we won it. You look at the champions every year, it's usually the team who's the least disturbed by injury, certainly Chelsea last season. So, yes, uh, you know, we are dependent on keeping those players fit, just like City are dependent on keeping Silva, Aguero and Torre fit, just like, you know, United uh Dependent on keeping certain players fit, it's it's the same for everyone, and it's never really been any different. Um, so I'm not hugely anxious about that, just because I think that's the way it goes. That's that's the way it is for everybody. What I will say is my my worry, as it were, is um, and and this was another pleasing aspect of yesterday is can Wenger rotate effectively? Because if you look at Arsenal the last four or five seasons, we tend to play well for half a season. And that half a season is usually with the same starting lineup pretty much every week. That definitely happened at the second half of last season. The first half of the season before, when we looked like we were going to put a title run together, we were playing the same 11. You, you can't do that. We're going to have to rotate around. And uh, I, I have question marks over, over whether Wenger can do that effectively. I guess we'll find out. And actually, I think... Um, you know, to finish it off nicely, thinking about the game on Tuesday, I think it's very important to stay in the League Cup because it's important to give the likes of Gibbs, Debushi, Flamini, we're going to need them at some point and they're going to need games. And I think it's actually quite important to stay in that competition, to give those guys games so that when the need arises to use them, that, that they're feeling a little bit sharp. Um, so yes, I, I kind of share that anxiety, but I, I don't think it's a unique one at all. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, if you look at Chelsea last season, their title, as I throw up in my mouth, was built largely on keeping the same 11 players on the pitch for the yeah. entire first half of the season and then riding it out to the end. Um, and now they're relegation threatened. So there's that. My in, in my wildest dream, Abramovich just says, fuck this, I've had enough, has Jose killed, burns down Stamford Bridge, leaves the country, and... Uh, that's the end of their 12-year history. Anyway, um, it, it was a great win, maybe not a, a vintage performance, but certainly a fantastic week, and one that sees us finish the week atop the table with City. So it's, it's a great position to be in, um, and you know now we have a chance to rotate a little bit, see some new faces in, in the Capital One Cup, and I don't think there'll be a lot of anxiety going into that because given the state of our season right now, I think it really is a game we can approach with I don't want to say a casual attitude, but as supporters, I don't think anyone will be gnashing their teeth over it. So it could be a nice, relaxed moment in an otherwise very tense period of the season. Uh, Paul, as always, it's a pleasure. You can find Paul on Twitter at Pausing In My Pants. Paul, thank you very much. Woohoo! 
Woohoo Indeed. And uh, Tim, we appreciate you coming on um, so that we can add listeners beyond my mom and dad. So that's very appreciated. You already know where to find Tim. He is at Stilberto on Twitter. He is uh, a contributor to Ars Blog. He is a frequent guest on the Ars Cast, the Ars America podcast, several other podcasts, as well as uh, penning some fantastic articles and columns for other uh, blogs and, and sources. So you should definitely check him out and read everything he writes. And uh, we really appreciate you coming on. My pleasure. Uh, well, we'll take your word for it. Anyway, my name is Elliot Smith. If you haven't already, you should block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Uh, we will be back with a midweek pod because while there is heavy rotation in the squad expected, uh, probably only a little bit of rotation for us because we, uh, we are true professionals. If you do get a chance to like this podcast or, or fancy it, or you want to rate it or do one of those things, go to iTunes, write a review, give us five stars. You can give us five stars and then write a scathing review. That'd be fine. Um, or just encourage people to download the pod, even if they don't listen to it. Just encourage them to download it. Makes us feel good about ourselves. Anyway, uh, real pleasure. Thanks everybody for listening. Thank you guys for coming on. We'll talk to you after Sheffield. Monday. Looking for a new podcast to listen to? Here's what we love, courtesy of ACAST Recommends. What's going on, everybody? This is Mac Wilds, one-third of the almighty guys next door. And if you're listening to this, we want you to be a neighbor. Now, I know you guys are probably thinking, like, what do these guys talk about? What is that? Well, listen, we talk about everything under the sun. We talk about everything that it means to be a young millennial man in today's society, whether it's finance the type of condoms that you use, or how to deal with love issues, or lack of emotion. We talk about everything, and we go there, guys. We go there. We really, really have a lot of fun. So uh, if you guys would love to, we would love you to come on over, come mosey on down, you know, right past Sesame Street. We want you guys to come, come kick it with us. Come get some sugar. We are the guys next door. Peace. A-Cash recommends. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.